0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Babylon 5 versus uh, Deep Space Nine, the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at b 5 vsds We're available on all major and most minor podcatchers. Please like and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. If you have a question about either show or anything else you'd like us to tackle, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher, take a screenshot and email the screenshot and your question to us at b5bsds9 at gmail.com, and we will answer your question live on the show. We plan to start a Patreon with bonus content in the near future, so if you have any ideas of stuff you'd like to see for bonus episodes, please hit us up again at email at b5bsds9 at gmail.com. Hello everyone. Welcome back to Babylon Five versus Deep Space Nine. This is Bob from Cascadia. I got Matt from the Southland on the line. How you doing today, Matt?
1: Doing pretty good. Ready to talk about our uh, our overall recap of season one of DS Nine. Since we have completed season one of DS Nine at this point,
0: uh, yeah, maybe- yeah, completed in a manner of speaking. Uh, we discussed ten episodes from DS Nine. For those keeping uh, track at home, we we talked about the two-parter emissary we talked about past prologue we talked about q list dax Nagus, battle lines forsaken duet and the season finale hands of the prophets uh, on my own i rewatched six other episodes and then i i declined to rewatch four episodes uh, the infamous four are Move Along Home, Storyteller, Progress, and If Wishes Were Horses. And so we just thought we would do a kind of quick episode checking in on what we thought about DS9 season one. We, we've both seen the whole season before, but for this rewatch, it, we thought it made sense to line up with Babylon 5 to only talk about 10 episodes that are either particularly good or particularly like significant to the overall mythos of DS9. Um, So w- let's kick it off on the episodes, Matt. W- what would you say was your favorite episode
1: this season? Uh, The Nagus was my favorite episode. Uh, it just it was redemption for those horrible Next Gen Ferengi episodes where they weren't really painted in the best light. The race you see in Next Gen is not what you see in DS Nine. Uh, and then of course you had Wallace Shawn as the Grand Nagus, Negus, which was fantastic. Uh, Wallace Shawn did a great job as that character. There's the uh, rocky relationship between uh, Jake Cisco and uh, Benjamin Cisco, and, and at the very end of that episode, you realize, hey, you know, Jake is only teaching Nog how to read. It's just, it's a sweet ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really felt like this episode just kind of encapsulated everything that DS9 represents with all the different characters and just the uh, the interesting things going on in the space station, far out in space.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I. I'd forgotten that Jake and Nog had such a prominent role in that episode until you said that, because I was trying to think about, like, later for our questions, I was trying to think about, like, the roles that all the different characters had in terms of arcs, and I I think maybe Jake and Nog had a bit more of an arc this season than I gave them credit for. But, yeah, no, that's a a good example. That's a good example. I'd say my favorite we discussed was Q-Less. I think Keyless had a lot of things going for it. It's sort of unique in the um, in the Deep Space Nine season one, and really in Deep Space Nine as a whole, because it's really dependent on next generation uh, characters Q and Vash, which is something the show will get a lot further away from, even though we see a fair amount of that this season. Um, it was also a good episode for uh, Quark. He had he played a really good supporting role, and. I noticed that other than q and Nagus, um, in the episodes we watched, at least, it felt like Quark didn't do very much. He was mainly just somebody who was on the sidelines sort of making wry commentary to Odo. So it was nice to have Quark like actively engaged. And I think it's also worth saying that it's the, um, I think it's basically the best Dr. Bashir episode. Like he's Maybe the least annoying in it of any episode this season, and you know, although maybe that best also has to do with the fact that Q uh, put him to sleep for much of the episode. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Qless of the of the episodes we skipped. Uh, my favorite was a uh, captive pursuit, but uh, I'll, I'll talk about that episode a little more later. Um, what was your
1: least favorite this go around, Matt? Battle lines was definitely the episode that that was my least favorite uh writing off uh coyote so early on just was an odd choice um especially she was introduced in the pilot and then boom she's dead by battle lines or not 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 dead but you know what i mean just effectively pretty much re- re- effectively dead written off at this point uh to me the actual show just it looked that episode looked cheap to me um I did appreciate that uh, Breaking Bad's Mike was in it now that I actually realized that it was him. That, that was pretty cool. I'm glad I, I learned that this, this go around. Um, you pointed that out. Uh, and just the whole premise of it was just stupid to me. Like, I didn't, I just didn't care for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's my pick as well. Um, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm bothered so much about losing Opaka as a character in itself, um, because I I really actually do uh, like when Adami, uh, who replaces her quite a bit. She's one of my favorite characters on the show. She's such a great villain. But it, it did just seem kind of strange, like how how important uh, Opaka looms in the emissary. And that also may have something to do with, we mentioned this way, way, way back in our Zero episode, but you and I watched that emissary pilot uh, because I had a VHS copy when we were kids. So we watched it so many times. So maybe that contributed to me like overrating what the show thought Opaka was going to be. And then for her and her second appearance to just get summarily written off, just seemed kind of strange, but
1: I don't know I don't
0: have like positive or negative feelings about the the character or the actress playing the character, and I, I do quite like her replacement. It's just it just kind of seems weird compared to that childhood memory. My uh, least favorite episode of the season as a whole, which um, we did not discuss and I declined to rewatch, is "If Wishes Were Horses." Um, the less said about it, the better. The only thing I will say is that the uh, the alien species who's quite mysterious in that episode threatened to return at the end of it and uh, thank god they never
1: did so yeah, we're, we're never gonna speak of that episode again yeah we'll never speak of it again i wonder i wonder if one of the novels ever goes back to it i hope not <laughs> I, uh, I so, touch it. which episode surprised you the most this time around Matt, i'm gonna say it's uh forsaken I was just surprised how much I enjoyed uh, Luxana Troy's character this time around. Uh, I kind of remember her being super annoying in Next Generation, but uh, this was kind of a redeeming episode in a sense. And what I understand reading uh, some of the Deep Space Nine, uh, I guess the Deep Space Nine Bible or whatever that they created when they first started out the show, the the creators made this document that they had to follow. I guess it was more like a pitch to the, the company in a sense. And looks, was supposed to be a, a character who was not just reoccurring like she is in this. Yes, I think she has three appearances total. Um, I think she was supposed to be like almost a, a, a character that was on it on a weekly basis. Oh, wow! Um, she, yeah, she was pretty much like a supported character. Um, I guess like kind of along the likes of a, a Morn or a Rom or you know, a character. Not a character yeah. used to do every episode, but a character that's supposed to be there at all times. Like she basically takes she lives on DS9. Uh, that didn't happen mode no, did at surface.
0: Huh. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I thought she was only in two episodes of DS9, but maybe there's a third one I'm forgetting. Um, I do sort of wonder how well that would have worked. I mean, I like Latsana quite a lot as a character, but I mean, given the level of intimacy she has with Odo after The Forsaken. I, I almost feel like it would kind of undermine his character quite a bit to have her around on a semi-weekly basis. Like, you know, for Odo's outsider status and alienated status to work, he uh, doesn't he doesn't need someone who uh, understands him as well as Lexana to be around. You know,
1: yeah, reading her reading the description of the character uh, from that document, uh, that's pretty much her whole purpose of being on the station was to act as a her relationship with Odo like that was going to be the whole thing
0: you do wonder too like I mean we like I said we we've said this in a previous episode my my understanding is that when JMS uh, the creator of Babylon 5 pitched Babylon 5 to Paramount um, executives saw his outlines and pitch documents um, and then it seems like they most likely instructed the writers and producers creating Star Trek Deep Space Nine to like shape DS9 along those lines. But it I think JMS himself has said he doesn't think the writers of DS9 actually saw his pitch documents. He thinks they were just under instructions from the execs. And g- given that fact, um, you wonder if like having Luxana on would almost be a kind of an attempt to have like ambassadorial characters on ds9 like you have on babylon 5 with Dylan and Millari and kosh and jakar
1: yeah i could i could totally see that although in the document really yeah, uh the only character that didn't end up actually on the show all the time was was troy as great as she is like she's normally played for
0: comedic relief and you you don't necessarily think of her even though she is an ambassador you don't necessarily think of her as like speaking for the federation you know so which episode surprised you the most um I' was surprised how much I didn't like duet on rewatch. Um, I had nebulous uh nebulously fond memories of it from watching it before. but even though there's some great performances from uh, Nana visitors, Kira and Harris Eulin, is that the name of the Cardassian? Uh, um, yes. yeah, even though they give great performances, I just thought the 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 resolution of the conflict between. Kira and the Cardassian she's interrogating uh, just really left a bad taste in my mouth as I explained on our episode about duet so that that was the the unpleasant surprise for me I was just going to say who would
1: you say was that your favorite or the best developed or the most interesting character this time around I had a yeah I had a hard time coming up with a, a favorite or best developed character honestly uh they're so I think we're just starting to get to know the characters at this point in season one i mean we're just kind of getting introduced to them and there's not much more going on than that and it's just kind of kind of surface level stuff uh you know getting their origins in place things like that uh most developed i just went with cisco he's one of my favorite characters in the season even if his development is somewhat like limited he gets points for punching q and improving the federation a joint relationship we return to plot points that they kind of started in emissary and by the end of the season, they kind of wrap around and come back to it in the finale. Um, and I really do. I appreciate the the Jake, uh, the Jake and Cisco moments, like when they're you know there's father son stuff going on. I think that's a an important part of his character and just some of the things we haven't seen before in uh, in Star Trek. I mean, can you really do think of a really good father son relationship in uh, in Star Trek. I mean, you had Worf and and his son, I can't yeah. remember. I don't think that's a very good okay. example. Yeah, I don't think that's a good example. Honestly, well, uh, it's, a,
0: it's a horrible example in the next gen. Although later in yeah. DS nine, I think they redeem it
1: somewhat. Right. I, I can't think of any other any other father son relationship.
0: None are really coming to
1: mind. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good point.
0: Yeah, I you, you're making me reconsider my dismissal of Cisco. Cisco. I mean, I love Cisco as a character too. Uh, my, my impression when thinking about it was that I didn't see that much development for him in uh, in this season. He There is development in the pilot episode as he kind of wrestles with coming to terms with, you know, being named this Bajoran religious figure and deciding to stay on the station. So there's development in that episode, but I didn't feel like the the development in like federation Bajor relations really was handled that well this season really even though Bajor is a constant source of conflict in the show as we'll talk about later it really only seems like two episodes directly address that that both Emissary and then the season finale Hands of the Prophets and in Hands of the Prophets it just kind of feels like Cisco as well saying well we've made all this progress but you haven't necessarily seen all this progress being made over the course of the season I felt like but y- you are making good points about the Jake Cisco relationship, which I, I wasn't thinking about as much when I was considering this.
1: It's part of the secret, Bobby. He's got to put it out there. He's got to put out that, you know, the, the relationship is getting better.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's a PR trick. <laughs> you, you say it enough yeah. times that majority exactly. will start to believe it. <laughs> yeah. Put it out there. Weirdly for me, um, I think it might be O'Brien this season, which um, a couple of my friends like to kid me about loving O'Brien for identity politics reasons, and uh, were deeply amused that you chose to put my head on O'Brien for the promo image um, without any prompting for me. Um, They were also very angry when uh, Lower Decks named uh, Chief O'Brien the most important person in Starfleet history. So, but I actually do think O'Brien does a lot of good stuff this episode. Um, I really liked his role in the episode we skipped, Captive Pursuit. And it's sort of interesting that Captive Pursuit is already this kind of partial template for the um, show's future tradition of having at least one episode a season just to be about doing the worst things the writers can think of to O'Brien. So Captive Pursuit this, uh, is already sort of in that tradition. And uh, he gets some interesting dilemmas to work with and Forsaken and Hands of the Prophets. So in that way, maybe it's just a recency bias since those are two of the most recent uh, episodes we've watched. But um, I really do think uh, they do some pretty good stuff with O'Brien. And what were you thinking about uh, Kira this season, Matt? I know you were kind of uh, down on her in a couple of earlier episodes.
1: I think they covered... I think her her character is... uh developing at pretty quick speed uh of all the characters that we see in india's night i think her character is probably focused on the most at least in the episodes that we watched we really see her kind of develop but since i don't like her i didn't pick her as my favorite so
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I did like her a lot this season She, she i wouldn't say she was my favorite this season but i think she did some good stuff i like how fiercely she's representing Bejoran interest, uh, particularly in the episodes past prologue and duet. And the season finale, Hands of the Prophets, does move her from supporting like religious orthodoxy and Vedic win towards supporting the more liberal Vedic virile and also the Federation presence on Bajor. And I think that's interesting. I, I honestly hadn't remembered that Kira had been a religious... Uh, more religiously, more orthodox character um, at the beginning of that episode, but so it was kind of interesting to see that evolution. On the on the other hand, though, I don't, I don't know that that episode actually did a great job actually showing that evolution. It was sort of, it was sort of a microcosm for the larger problem, but I don't think season one did a great
1: job of showing like the evolution and, fe- and Federation and Besure and relations. Her hair evolved as well. Just to let you just point that out <laughs> from first episode yeah. to the end of the season or i don't think i could have taken her seriously had she kept the same hairstyle she had in emissary brutal brutal that's some law that's some londo level stuff almost going on there <laughs> um so who was uh your least favorite character this season Matt? oh gosh uh this one wasn't hard at all uh it's definitely bashir his character is basically genius doctor on space station has these awkward conversations He's he's somewhat redeemed by that the relationship he has with Garrick in the one episode, and then you know he saves the ambassadors and, and Forsaken, which was, was kind of cool. But other than that, he, he doesn't really play much of a part. And uh, strangely enough, the the actor Sadig who plays Bashir was originally cast to play Cisco. As they were going through the process, they realized that you know putting a twenty five year old in charge of the space station is probably not the best idea. It doesn't seem very realistic at all. For <laughs> Star Trek so they uh, kind of just switched him and threw him a bone and let him be sheared instead but apparently he was so disliked by fans and in the network in season one season one and two that they really wanted to just kick him off the show uh, and he was in constant fear of being fired so.
0: oh man poor guy I mean yeah, uh, you can see why he's sort of the Wesley Crusher of Deep Space Nine like he's you know they play up his precociousness and his awkwardness and yeah, yeah even he, though he at least actually has a job and a legitimate role on
1: deep space 9 unlike a teenager flying a starship but still yeah i just expected more i mean i'm sure le- as as the seasons go on i know that he gets there's more development to oh, character, yeah, yeah but this first season he 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 got the shaft at this point
0: yeah and it's it's not a performance problem it's 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 a writing problem
1: like they're just not oh no not a performance problem at yeah. all no yeah He's a fantastic actor yeah, definitely.
0: Definitely. I've, I've always been surprised he hasn't appeared in more stuff. The only other thing I can think of is um, Game of Thrones, and they they kind of do him a disservice of Game of Thrones, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. He I can't think of anything else he's been in other than Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you, though, that um, Bashir is the worst
0: this season. He's sleazy, he's underdeveloped, and he's infuriating, and the only, the only exceptions to that are really... Uh, when he's the butt of a Q prank or when he's being cruised by Garrick. What did you think about the character Dax this season?
1: Yeah, for some reason, I remember Dax being a bigger part of season one when looking back, but then after watching the episodes, I'm like, eh, she's really not. She's kind of almost a background character at this point. Like, there's not much going on there other than, you know, the episode, uh, you know, the self-titled episode Dax, uh, well, there's not much more that one, She result. doesn't really do anything.
0: She just kind of sits there impassively as other people do things on her behalf, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, she just sits there and smiles the whole time. I mean, at least she's in the episode that's focused on her. It's just nothing, there's not much more than that. Uh, yeah, but behind, sure, Dax would be next as far as being underdeveloped. It's not a character that there's much to follow.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I had a little bit of a different memory. The last time I rewatched DS9, I remember thinking Dax was a terrible character until late in season two, like that the writers didn't figure out anything to do with her. And at least in the episodes we watched this time, it wasn't that she was a terrible character. It was just like you said, she was more of a background character. Her main role was um, she provided exposition. I think in some of the episodes we skipped, she has a little bit more of like an active role in the plot, but many of those are not good episodes, so they would not necessarily uh, contribute fondly towards our evaluation of her. So yeah, it's sort of interesting that my much more negative memory of her in the first season and a half of the show. like I said, I didn't have the same strong feelings that I remembered having. It just felt like she was just a background character. But I I think around the episode Blood Oath in
1: season two,
0: the writers really figure out like how to make Dax a great character and, and
1: follow through on it. Yeah. And with season one, they're still trying to find that balance between all these characters. I mean, this is that you gotta give them credit because there are so many characters they really need to explore. And you know, you've only got what like 45, 40 minutes to really cover that and you got to handle your crisis
0: of the week yeah or two crises of the week depending it's it's a lot to balance and I think if we were setting down or sitting down with any other Star Trek show except for the original series we would be really struggling to after season one to to have such to have even this developed a conversation about the characters you know true that is very true So one thing we noticed was and commented on was there were a lot of appearances from characters who originated on The Next Generation this season. Um, By my count, you have Picard, you have Lursa and Bator, the Klingon renegades. You have Q, you have Bash, and you have Luxana Troy. Did you have a favorite appearance of one of these characters or an appearance you enjoyed the most, Matt?
1: Uh, Definitely Picard. Uh, His appearance on the pilot pretty much sealed the deal that DS9 was going to be a big this larger universe, uh, Star Trek, uh, those those awkward conversations between Picard and Cisco after the realization they were both at Wolf Three Five Nine, are like one of the most memorable parts of not just the pilot, not just the season, but also the entire series as a whole. Uh, I feel like uh, having Picard in that first episode really just made it made DS Nine special from the get go yeah yeah no really a great really
0: a great appearance and in some ways i'm glad they they never bring picard back on ds9 because in some sense you don't need to like they already sort of tie off the picard cisco conflict with cisco's experience in the wormhole and kind of coming to terms with what happened at wolf 359 but on the other hand it, it it you do you know the part of you especially the nerd part that always just wants more and more and more more interconnection more episodes whatever you, you do sort of regret that you don't you don't ever get to see Avery Brooks and Patrick Stewart act off each other again
1: we might get to see it in the next season of Picard though Never. yeah we
0: might we might maybe uh maybe uh Aunt Robot Picard will meet uh, wormhole Jesus and, uh, be a be a rematch for the ages Um, so for me even though I really enjoyed the Picard appearance I mean I enjoyed all of them I think uh, but Luxana would be my favorite um, especially because I I felt like they used her to develop Odo really really well so uh, it wasn't just a gratuitous appearance to let you know that it's the same universe as TNG but it really it really sort of clarified things about Odo's character, although in a similar way that they use Picard to clarify things about Cisco's character. Um, I, I'd also say it's kind of ironic. Forsaken is the single best Luxana episode. In my uh, yeah, I'd have to rewatch those to say for sure, but I think it's the best. Um, I'd also just say a few more kind words about Qless. I know Matt really enjoys Cisco punching Q, and it's a fun episode it's not the best Q episode but it's it's a it's a solid Q episode and that uh, Vash only appears in three episodes of Star Trek and I, I think Qless is easily the best of those three
1: yeah I can agree with that I, I think that this episode is probably the, the best episode with Vash and the next, the next gen episodes don't really do her character justice
0: yeah well maybe they'll bring her back for Picard season two and the best is yet to come we'll see we'll see <laughs> Um, we, we asked, uh, what the worst TNG appearance was, but, uh, neither of us really had any complaints. Um, so wanted to move on to a few final questions. Um, Matt, did you have, uh, any thoughts on like the role of the Cardassians in this season?
1: Yeah, you really think that from the get-go at the beginning of the episode, the beginning of Emissary, you really think that the Cardassians are going to play a larger role, but they don't. I mean, Dakota only shows up in two of the episodes, uh, this season, uh, Garrix in an episode, and then there's the other Cardassian. I think his name is like Dinar,
0: yeah, Golden
1: uh, Golden uh, yeah. And those, that, those are the only Cardassians you actually see. And I felt like this was going to be a huge issue, like just starting off, since they've occupied the station, the wormholes there. They're trying to, you know, there, there's going to be the Cardassians are going to want the station back at some point, you know. That I mean, it it seems like it would have that would have surfaced already, but you don't get that sense yet.
0: Yeah. And part of that may be, like I said, with our, we assumed Opaka would be a very important part of the show. Like we watched the pilot so relentlessly as kids, it seems like, oh yeah, of course the Cardassians who are the major antagonists of the pilot are going to be major antagonists. And I mean, they, they definitely are later, but just not so much in season one, only with these three appearances. Another thing that's kind of interesting is uh, how much the premise of DS9 hangs on the Gamma Quadrant. And we see so very little of it. We, we see like, um, we have eight episodes where you have some sort of formula of a new species or a probe or a disease comes through the wormhole and causes a crisis on the station. And, um, but it's kind of interesting that not, we never really see repeats of any of these occasions. Um, you know none of these things reoccur so we haven't really established the gamma quadrant as anything distinct or separate or new in in the Star Trek universe, even though there's a lot of rhetoric about, you know, the Gamma Quadrant being unexplored, the opportunity to map it, that sort of stuff. And it's, it's just sort of interesting that they hadn't really, they and they don't really until late season two, early season three, actually start trying to map out like distinctive Gamma Quadrant civilizations that are, stand very much apart from the Alpha Quadrant civilizations we know. And, and sometimes that's a shame. I mean, a lot of these Gamma Quadrant, um, antagonist or gamma quadric probes or diseases you wouldn't want to see again but there's two episodes um one is captive pursuit where you meet the this alien species of hunters and their sapient prey the tosk and that that was that really good o'brien episode and it's kind of a shame you never see the hunters and the tosk again they're they're kind of interesting um, Dual civilization, and then likewise we get uh pup the sentient computer program from a probe in the episode The Forsaken. And O'Brien assimilates Pup into the DS9 computer and you know builds him a digital doghouse, but you know, we never hear of PUP again either. So I just thought it was interesting how much the series premise stakes <coughs> on DS9 and then or sorry, how much the series premise stakes DS9 and the gamma quadrant, and then how in season one how kind of meh the actual Gamma Quadrant is so far.
1: Yeah, I kind of was, I'm thinking that there was going to be some kind of like, uh, like they would send out like groups of starships through the wormhole to like go and explore it. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's some kind of like major, like they could have almost made a show about that. Uh, but you don't see that yet. You know, you don't see it. It's once the wormhole opens up, they immediately just turn into a trade route. That's about it. That's all you really hear about it. You don't see anything else. You don't start exploring. You don't have, like, the Enterprise D going out and trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting. Like, there's occasional starships going through the wormhole, but, like, usually we don't follow up with those starships very much. There's not a lot of clarity about what they're doing. And, you know, famously the Defiant uh, is introduced in Season 3 of DS9 to give the riders, uh, you know, and the characters a little bit more mobility, a bit more, a bit more ability to like go and do away missions, away missions, and that sort of thing. And but it's interesting that you know the Defiant is imagined as a combat vessel to you know halt the halt the Dominion, whereas we you know you could have done you could have done a Defiant or some other small starship uh, from the start and actually just use it to explore the Gamma Quadrant. But yeah, they just decided not to go that direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, the life we've seen on the other end of the wormhole is just not that interesting. Honest to God, like I haven't seen anything that's been like, "Oh wow, that's really cool," so far. <laughs> yeah, so far, so far. Um,
0: we'll 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 start to get hints of other things in season two, so that that's coming. That's coming. Um, and then another um, another sort, kind of source of plot complication, like I said, I think um, something like eight episodes deal with uh, you know these kind of. Tropey, uh complications from the Gamma Quadrant, and then you also have about uh, nine episodes of season one that are in some way focused on complications from Bajor. Uh Sometimes those are political complications, like in Emissary and Past Prologue and the season finale and Duet. Other times they're just you know like oh there's a there's a farmer who doesn't want to move to halt uh, you know and is halting some construction project or O'Brien you know goes to a Bajoran village that sort of those sorts of plots so um it's it's sort of interesting how much uh how much Bajor is a source of plots and a source of complications for season one rather than the Gamma Quadrant or maybe slightly above and in
1: addition to the Gamma Quadrant so it's pretty much been our recap for DS9 season one any parting words Bob? Uh, your cat sounds uh, cute, Matt. Uh, my cat is yeah. sitting in
0: front of the speaker, very, very confused and intrigued.
1: Yeah, I need to. I need to figure this cat out. It's 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 got a. What do you call it? Anxiety, separation Aww. anxiety from its father. But it, the funny thing is, I've got the door open. It can come in and just. But it just wants me to come out and play. Like stop watching ds stop watching ds9 dad and come play with me <laughs> star, trek I'm like, is no. fake. star trek is fake dad i'm real <laughs> i'm like no you watch ds9 with me like every other kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i worry that the
0: pandemic has been very unhealthy for my relationship with the cat she's uh far too used to me now you know i used yeah. to like have to commute like an hour plus to work and uh, she you know, she dealt with separation from me a lot. She doesn't do that anymore. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this uh, season one uh, discussion of Deep Space Nine. Uh, we are Babylon 5 versus Deep Space Nine. This has
1: been Bob from Cascadia. I've had Matt from the Southland on the line. Thanks for listening. And Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at B5VSDS9. Uh, for show notes, subscribe to our substack, b5vsds9.substack.com. We're available on all major and most minor podcatchers. Please like and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. If you have a question about either show or anything else you'd like us to tackle, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or another podcatcher. Take a screenshot, email that screenshot to us with your question at b5vsds9 at gmail.com, and we will answer your question on the show. Uh, We plan to start a Patreon with bonus content in the near future, so if you have any ideas of stuff you'd like to see for bonus episodes, email us at b5vsds9 at gmail.com.